0: to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts, Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Synergy Patriot, Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you've got a good message for us today. What's up?
0: Give me Synergy or give me death in Aquaria Limited, Ben. Boom. Love it. I am loving this format. I'm completely obsessed with it it's so good. And it's so deep. It's good. It's deep. It's really difficult. And I don't feel like I've I mean, maybe I've scratched the surface. But I do feel like there's still so many decks that I haven't tried out yet.
1: I agree. And I feel like the format has shifted like three times already in the first week. (laughs) It's absurd.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I just got on board the cycling train yesterday. I got to trophy with two 12 land red white cycling decks that felt completely absurd. I was messaging with uh, quarter calls about it. Like it feels like you're drafting a completely different format. Like the way you clear the mind deck sort of felt like in Ravnica allegiance, but like to another degree, it just when you're doing that thing and your opponents trying to like play creatures it just feels so busted it's like storm and cube
1: well your deck's just so redundant and so consistent
0: yeah that deck is wild like it's not like anything i've ever seen if you had told me i'd be playing 12 lands in limited i would have called you absolutely insane
1: right that's one of the hardest things about this format too right is all the normal limited heuristics sort of get thrown out the window because the power level and the power level of the synergy is just off the charts in the format
0: yeah We've got a lot to discuss today, but first up, I want to talk about another thing that's off the charts, which is our Patreon support, Ben. Boom. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show is always going to be free. We try and give folks a little incentive to join. The base level, what everyone gets for giving back to the show is access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is hopping and popping. We are breaking Aquaria Limited. We are also hosting weekly FMs. and in addition to that, we've got this pod draft coordination section of the discord where people can just fire on demand drafts as they wish which is really sweet you do a little draft on a third party site import your decks to arena do direct challenges really awesome way to stay connected and to get to grind you can also just say like hey i want to get some more reps in with this deck that i drafted people are doing that as well it's a really fantastic community we recently did sort of an overhaul of how it looks organizing the channels which was received really positively so i think it's a little bit more streamlined on our end in terms of organizing all the channels and i think it's a much better user experience as well and this week we get to welcome some new users as well so ben i hope you will join me in welcoming jonathan e hadron marillo joe bobby Seung. brett joe bags josh Benson, F.W., Jonathan G., Michael, Roshi, Thomas, Jacob, Veal, Marriott, John, Thomas, Chris, Grant, Istvan, Oscar J. Cat, Alex
1: W., Alex O., Rattleclaw, Pascal, Lether, Jonathan R., Adam,
0: Chris, Volker, Jim, Peter, Michael, James, Edward, Brendan, and David boom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support.
1: Yeah. Cannot say enough good things. I'm really proud of our community in the discord. It's just a good place to talk about limited. And there's a lot of really, really, really good people in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just another quick piece of housekeeping, you, myself and Alex, aka quarter from the limited level ups podcast, we did a limited testing meeting. That's a seven part series on our YouTube channel where we did a sort of like, you know, old school limited testing meeting style thing where we ranked all the commons and all the uncommons and then put the rares in, in the mix. And it's just a really good way to see an overarching sweep of where we're at in terms of like a pack one, pick one for the entire set. And also the YouTube channel in general. There's some drafts up there. Get on it. Like, subscribe. We actually just recently crossed 2,000 subscribers on YouTube, Ben. So thanks to everyone who has uh, been supporting us over there. It's been a blast. All right. So lots to talk about here. I think you you and I basically did a little mini episode ourselves before recording this episode because (laughs) we have so much excitement about talking about this. But one of the hardest things I have found about this format is imparting knowledge to people on stream when they're submitting you know deck techs or looking at things on Twitter I like I feel like I have an answer for hey what's the cut what what would you add here what are the swaps but I don't have An easy way to say how I came to that conclusion or just like I feel like we keep coming up with this like teach a man to fish or feed a man for a day or whatever that sort of thing like I I feel like it's really hard to give people the tools to go forth and make good draft decisions draft in and draft out we're gonna try to do it though baby I am excited to podcast about this format yeah, buddy. We've got a lot to do over the, the, the coming weeks and months. So I, I think the, the first thing to start with, the reason why we're titling this episode, Give Me Synergy or Give Me Death, is that I, this is a highly synergistic format. And as a result, I think is incredibly difficult to draft some color pairs contain multiple archetypes and the build arounds in the format are off the charts and as a result especially coming off the heels of something like theros as a result your pick orders are gonna vary wildly based on as quickly as what your pack one pick one is
1: yeah i absolutely agree there are a lot of intrinsically powerful cards in the format but i think the synergy that you can build overall in a deck just trumps even some of the most powerful cards in the format there's really not A lot of wiggle room we were talking about this before the episode between payoffs and synergy support so you're very much trying to assemble a plus b so for example in mutate you very much want the payoff the mutate creature a and then you very much want the cheap creature to mutate onto b which would be like essence symbiote or glimmer bell and you're trying to get a lot of a plus b stuff going on in your deck a lot of mutate creatures that are powerful a lot of cheap enablers and there's not a lot of wiggle room for Other stuff, you know, maybe like 10, 15% of your deck is premium removal and some other things like that.
0: I do think if the pieces of your deck don't slot into column A or column B, you know, there's a lot of decks in the format where that's the case. Cycling, I think you've got your cycling payoffs A and then all of your cycling cards as your Bs. Or in sacrifice, you've got all of your sacrifice outlets A and then you've got all of your sacrifice fodder as your B. If the cards in your deck don't go into one of those two columns, you have to have a really good reason for including it. I don't think you want just like a random combat trick and even some like, you know, quote unquote good removal like divine arrow like I dare I say it pacifism Doesn't slot into a lot of these decks like you'll play it you're not sad about it but like you would prefer to just have your deck be all a's and b's
1: i think that's the most true in the case of cycling yes and then i think the lines get blurred that's level one right and then even more is level two where the lines start to get blurred as people start to contest cycling a little more or as people figure out the sacrifice deck and you don't get clean cut 100 versions of those decks and then you're trying to blur it together and it becomes
0: even a little messier and that started to happen to me
1: more towards the end of this week a little bit
0: yeah i think the other thing that makes this format so tricky to me is that i do believe it is a drafting the hard way format and for folks who don't know that that's a, an old ben stark limited article that you definitely should read if you've never read it um, but basically it just is a, a philosophy of drafting of taking, you know, most powerful cards in a vacuum and then weighing them against what you already have in terms of like the lanes you're going down. So I do think you want to be drafting the hard way in terms of identifying the payoffs, the A category cards and going like, all right, well, you know, pack one, pick one, I'm going to take this awesome cycling payoff. And then pack one, pick two, I see this awesome mutate creature. So I'll take that. And then I'll, I'll figure out what lane I'm going to be in as the draft progresses. But then once you figure out the lane, You stay in that lane and you stay in that lane really hard. I don't think it's correct to bob and weave as much as maybe we've encouraged. Like it feels much different than the drafting the hard way that we did in Throne of Eldraine.
1: Yes, I would agree with that. I think the most common thing for me to be doing is to be drafting two different decks for a little bit, like however long that is, six picks, eight picks, 10 picks. But then eventually you have to pull the trigger on what you're going to do. And then once you pull that trigger, there's no looking back. You are in 100% trying to maximize the A's plus B's in whatever you're doing.
0: So to continue this sort of level one discussion of what these synergy packages are, we've talked about you know, from week one cycling and mutate being top of the heap cycling still a number one mutate right behind it. And then I think number three, which sort of throws a, a whole wrench into this business is the companions is getting to pack one, pick one, a companion and truly build around it. And I think almost all of them are correct to do so.
1: Yeah, I think my, my current feeling on the companions, you know, I've sort of been labeled the companion hater, for the podcast, <laughs> which, which is just not true. I love the companions. I do think there's a cost to doing the companion thing, but I feel very comfortable in how to draft them. And I think we're going to do an entire episode on how to draft the companions at some point in this format, because it's difficult. It's it's like a stip draft, but you know, you get really paid off for doing your stip draft almost.
0: This is the first I'm hearing of doing a whole companion episode, and I am 100% on board.
1: Oh, yeah, it just seems like a must do, right? Yeah. Like, like how to maximize e- each of those. So I, I my current companion feeling is that you Try very hard to do the companion thing, but along the way, if you see really powerful cards that don't belong in your companion deck, you still take them, right? So that you have the option throughout most of the draft to companion or not companion. And I think Mm -hmm. most of the time at the end of the draft, it ends up being right to companion, but there's very much a message out there of play a companion and a ham sandwich and you win your draft. And I just think that's not true. Drafting with companions is really skill testing. And I think there's a lot of interesting choices to make along the way. And I think you're not necessarily just going to steamroll your opponents because you have a companion.
0: I 100% agree. Yeah. Um, I, I've had really great success with companions, but I also feel like I've, I've stretched a little too far to run them and that, that can end up in a, a pretty big disastrous way. So beyond cycling, mutate companions. What are we looking at?
1: I think humans is there too. And I think right now, like the humans menace sacrifice stuff that's going on in black, red and white I think I almost prefer over mutate at the moment because I think less people know about it, right? Mutate's the most obvious thing where you're like for assembling A plus B, I guess. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to see, okay, I have an archipelago. Now I need something cheap with flying or, you know, a boot nipper that has a counter on it. Like that's a very straight, as far as the set goes, I mean, it's complex, but I think that's the most obvious straightforward thing to do in the set. So I'm kind of liking these humans grind sacrifice stuff a little more than mutate at the moment. So you got that going on. And then as far as other more niche things, there's a reanimate package that you can do in black and green. We talked about that a little bit last week. Blue red has a lot of spells matter, card draw things going on. And then past that, the allied color pairs all have keyword ability stuff, but the, the red-green and the blue-white, I think, really don't come through nearly as well as Black-Red Menace and White-Green Vigilance.
0: And I think it's important to note that like Vigilance doesn't actually have to be White-Green. I think it's more of a White-X deck, but Menace, I think, very much is in, in the red-black color pair. Yeah, for sure. So some general thoughts on maybe what the colors are trying to do as a whole, I think, is a good next step. To, to discuss, because as we said last week when we were re-ranking the top three commons and then looking at like top commons overall and then the addendum to that was it doesn't matter we don't care really about what those pick orders are because they go out the window so quickly based on trying to get stuff into column a and column b of whatever your deck is i think it's important to know what the good payoffs are for each of the archetypes for sure but beyond that i think everything gets a little fuzzy so i think looking at what the colors are doing as a whole may be a, a good way to frame some future discussions that we're going to have
1: right and i think it's interesting in this format, right? Because if you think about the decks in terms of color pairs, I think you're just doing yourself a disservice. For example, if you think blue-red is spells, which is probably the label that R&D put on it, right? Spells matter. Yeah. You've got the sprite dragon that cares about you casting spells. There's just so much more going on in a in your average blue-red deck than spells. Can you draft a blue-red spells deck? Yes. Can you draft a blue-red mutate deck? Yes. Can you draft a blue-red cycling deck? Yes. So I think rather than putting like in every other limited format, right, we say black-green is X or blue-green is X. And I don't think you, it's helpful to look at this format in that context. I think it's way more helpful to look at the colors individually and what do the colors themselves allow you to do, which lanes, which decks Which macro archetypes do they allow you to go down to? So macro archetypes being mutate, cycling, you know, humans, sacrifice, those big picture things we just laid out. And then how can you get into more specific focused versions of those ideas into a certain color pair. And knowing what each color wants to do and how you can branch out down different lanes, I think will open up your draft philosophy a lot as you're navigating a draft. So, first, we're gonna take a look at red. Red, I am head over heels in <laughs> love with. It's so good. It's got far and away the best commons and the deepest commons of any color. And I think, you know, if you're struggling in the format, I would try to draft red more often. Like, if you ever have a choice between taking a red card and another card, and it's close. I would go down the red lane and here's here's some reasons why you don't need rares to win with a red deck Most of the red decks are focused on commons only or commons and uncommons I think both enemy color pair decks are very good red white cycling best deck in the format Red blue spells matter could be cycling could be mutate a lot of things going on there red black is the strongest allied color pair in the format by a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot, a
0: lot. I s- and, second that for sure.
1: And red-green is still pretty serviceable. So there's a lot of different ways to win if you're drafting red. The other thing that's really sweet about red, we were talking about this before the show, is that the commons are all very flexible and go well in almost every red archetype. So if you're thinking the best red commons, Fire Prophecy, Drana Stinger, Prickly Marmoset, Rumbling Rock Slide... You play those four cards in every red deck, and they're good cards in your deck. You don't have to be a cycling deck for Prickly Marmoset to be a good card. Prickly Marmoset's also great to mutate onto. It's got First Strike. Drana Stinger's great in the Human Sacrifice fodder deck because you can cycle it away when you don't want it. There's so much of a blur between the archetypes in red and the fact that the top commons all go in all the decks makes it really easy to draft the hard way when you're drafting red and still use all of the cards that you've drafted. So one of the coolest things about red is that you can start towards cycling, which is the best deck in the format. And if you get cut out of cycling, you can easily pivot into red, black or blue, red. There's always some sort of a lane in red that you can go down to get a very good synergistic
0: deck. I I think we're going to have to break down the cycling deck as a whole, maybe as soon as next week, because I, I think this is the thing that keeps coming up the most in in our streams in terms of people having questions about decks is like what do i do how many cyclers am i running how many lands am i running that's generally the the most common question but i I do want to just sort of throw out a thing about why the colorless cyclers and the one mana colorless cyclers specifically are such high picks is that they reduce the number of lands you have to play and we've been sort of throwing out this heuristic of hey, like every three one-mana cyclers that you have, you can drop a land from your deck. And then I think there's some other, you know, messiness beyond that to figure out exactly how many lands you want to run. But you don't have to be all in on cycling to want to run, you know, you run Gopher Blood in your deck, a couple Gopher Bloods or something like that as a one-mana cycler that then 5% of the time, 10% of the time, you're going to want to cast. You're going to have a situation where you want to cast it. And having that flexibility in addition to reducing the number of lands you need to play in your deck is very powerful. Right. And they also, you know, those random
1: gopher bloods you're running, in addition to reducing your land count, they make your prickly marmosets a little bit better. Like Mm -hmm. everything just gives your deck a little bump in power level once you pick those one CMC cards a little bit higher as we were advocating for last week. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just to wrap up red, red as a color touches very well on all of the archetypes in the format so it touches on mutate it touches on cycling it's got a lot of toes and feet in the humans sacrifice grind deck and all of the commons go well in not all of the commons but of every color the majority of the commons go well in a lot of the different red decks and that's a really powerful thing to have going on in your color
0: yeah moving on to black which we have labeled right now as the second deepest color at common So similarly to red, which plays well with all the other colors, I think black does so as well. Probably best of the bunch is either white-black attrition or black-red menace slash sacrifice, but you can also be red-black mutate. You can also be red-black attrition if you've got Bastion of Remembrance or Weaponize the Monsters. And then also there's Black Green, which has the nice reanimator package as maybe a sub theme or a major theme in your deck, depending on how many of the uncommon pieces you get. Black Green can also be a great home for Mutate, and you can be a Black Green X if you get green fixing. And I think black, blue is not going to come together a lot. It can be just a good control shell, but I have had the opportunity to draft the blue, black flash deck and it's very, very powerful. It doesn't come together that often. I think it's more uncommon based or rare based than uh, some of these other archetypes, but black plays really well with all the other colors and that's why we have it at number two here.
1: Yeah, it's so strong and again, it gets to touch on all those major themes. It touches on mutate, it touches on sacrifice, it touches on cycling. Like I've had red black cycling decks where, you know, memory leak is just outstanding in a red black cycling deck because it's a very good card to cast as well Mm -hmm. so moving on to white next white gets a little more narrow than red or black if you're white you're generally hoping to be cycling first humans secondarily i think and that's really what white does best so getting into cycling variants in the format feels fairly easy to me still at this point, which is just absurd. It should be way more contested than it is. But if you're taking those one CMC cards highly, I think you still can get into that deck a lot. It's
0: such an easy deck to get into, because it, it needs no rares, and it almost needs no uncommons. Like you get one Valiant Rescuer or one Zenith Flare, and the rest of the stuff works itself out. You, you get Dranath Singer, you get Prickly Marmoset, you get Snare Tactician, like it, Just has all the pieces at common. That's why it's so easy to get into all the time. Right. And white also does
1: get a touch on mutate, but it's much less good at mutating than it is at doing those other things. So I would say white's priorities are cycle first if you can, humans next if you can't, and then mutate. You know, there's some rares and uncommons that lead you down that path a little bit, Um, but it's much less flexible as far as a color about what it wants to do and what lanes it can go down than black or red except I think cycling is such a big deal that the fact that White gets to cycle and gets two common cyclers in Drannith Healer and Imposing Vantasaur that not a lot of people want to pick up makes it to where it does do the thing very well but there's also not a lot of overlap you know we talked about red and black there being a lot of blur in the commons and the decks that they go between there's not a lot of overlap in white about which commons go in which different decks which is sort of a knock against it so for example you don't you don't want drannith healer i guess you kind of do want drannith healer in your humans deck but if you're picking imposing vantasaur you're not going to put that in your white black humans deck and then the removal is also a little awkward in pacifism and divine arrow divine arrow is great in the format It lines up so, so well in the format, but it still somehow feels bad in general to have in your deck because that usually means your deck's not very synergistic if you have room for something like Divine Arrow.
0: Right. I think the biggest issue with White for me is that it's got these intrinsically powerful cards in Pacifism, Divine Arrow, and to a lesser extent, Checkpoint Officer that just don't have good homes in the format. And I, I feel like this is a statement we're gonna get some pushback on. I was trying to explain on stream yesterday why I thought pacifism wasn't really good in the format. And that's not to say I think pacifism is bad or unplayable. It's just, you know, I came in on it being the best common in the in white. And I think it's not even in the top three for me really right now, because it doesn't slot into the category A or B thing. And it's not good against the two best decks being Cycling and Mutate. Yep, makes sense to me. So moving on to blue, blue is probably the most versatile color, but also the least flexible color as far as being able to do a little bit of everything in the format. So it's got cards, you know, it feels like white often gets this identity of like, there are half the cards that are white aggro cards and half the cards that are white control cards, and you don't want either in the same deck. Blue has that same deal, but with Mutate and with Spells. So in in blue, I think Essence Scatter just best common overall. But beyond that, there's this split that happens where you're like, well, are you in Mutate? Because if you are, then what you want is Dreamtail Heron and Glimmerbell. Are you in Cycling? Because if you are, what you want is Frostbite ambush and Startling Development, because those are one CMC cyclers. Are you in Spells Matter or Card Draw with like an Ominous seas? Because if you are, what you want is of one mind. There's just all these different things that make pick orders sort of go out the window based on where you're at with drafting blue. But the thing that makes it tough is that there isn't overlap between them. Like you don't want to have the mutate creatures with the one CMC cyclers most of the time. Right. So blue sort of feels similar and opposite to red in that sense. Like it gets to do
1: all of the different things, but its cards are all very narrow in terms of where they want to go in terms of all the different things it gets to do. For sure. All right. Taking a look at green last uh and last is the least here unfortunately yeah. green is the worst color at common by a pretty noticeable margin and i think the best thing green does as a color is ramp and fix so you can play the good <laughs> you play good cards from other colors right so you can play the good cards from other colors or the good rares from green you know like but green really green decks really want a lot of uncommons and rares preferably mutate cards and i think that makes it a lot less reliable of a color to start down your draft So I pretty much at this point am only hoping to be in green if I've got really strong mutate uncommons and rares that want greens fixing. Green is multicolor good stuff to me. Like that that's what it's doing. And it also suffers, it gets a knock from not really interacting with the cycling decks in any sort of a meaningful way. Like it has some two CMC cyclers, but it doesn't have any one CMC cyclers. So it's hard to end up in, you know, like a cool red-green cycling deck. Not saying it couldn't happen for sure. But I think that's the best deck in the format when it comes together. And the fact that green doesn't get to be a part of that is a really big knock about that.
0: I had never thought about that. Like, I-, I was just sort of focused on the fact that, like, its commons are so shallow. Like, we currently have Almighty Brushwag as number four. And that's the other thing about green is, like, its pick orders, unlike the other colors, isn't that flexible. Right. It's not a dynamic color at all. <laughs> right. It's trying to do usually one thing, and that's mutate. And I guess also just splash other good cards but those all sort of work together because like migratory great horn does both of those things like yeah green is very inflexible and shallow that's not a good look no and so i think the the one unique thing that green does really get to do
1: is that it gets to splash the black reanimate spells or go whole hog on the reanimate plan but i think even better than being black green reanimate is being a green based multicolored deck that has a reanimate package in it so i think that's another sweet thing that green gets to do but by
0: and large not great stuff going on in green. No, I I would say so. So I I think that's going to bring us to maybe taking a look at flexible pick orders or just looking at all the commons in in black. I, I, I threw out here as, as a color that I think would be interesting to just show how we're thinking about pick orders or how we're thinking about commons in context. I think we threw that out as an episode for Theros Beyond Death and got really good feedback for it. And that may be a staple of ours moving forward. This definitely being a format where I think it's going to be worthwhile to do pretty soon. So looking at the top black common here, Blood Curdle is still your A number one. And the pick over everything i mean at, at common at least
1: i agree and i think deadweight is second but only on raw power level once you're in a lane you take synergy pieces over deadweight at various times for sure like very early on i might take memory leak
0: over deadweight so i, I want to hear your pitch here about deadweight because i think much like we'll get pushback on saying that pacifism isn't good i think we are going to get pushback on saying deadweight is good can you talk about why you think deadweight still lines up pretty well in this format yeah i don't know where this is, feels awkward usually we're the people that are trying to be hipsters and say <laughs> you know removal
1: spells aren't good and i just have been a staunch defender of deadweight in the format i mean it does suffer a little bit in that it's not synergistic but one of the things it does do well that people don't talk about is it disrupts your opponent's plan very well for one mana If you're playing against a Mutate deck, and they play Essence Symbiote, and you have a Deadweight, you feel like an absolute champion. Similarly, against the Cycling deck, it kills the Thundermane, it kills Valiant Rescuer. There are a lot of key pieces. Now, there are things it doesn't kill, which I think is why people are saying it's less good, You know, it doesn't kill Glimmerbell, it doesn't kill Snare Tactician, it doesn't kill Prickly Marmoset. But I think the thing to remember is putting a dead weight on a Snare Tactician or a Prickly Marmoset and turning it into an O1 essentially kills it, right? Or you can shrink a large monster in a meaningful way to where you can block it. It still does do a lot of good things.
0: Right, putting it on a Mutate stack still feels pretty good because, you know, unless it's on something like an egg or there's an Essence Symbiote in play... You're now just shrinking their stack from whatever it was a 4-4, 5-4, 4-5 to a 2-2, 2-3. And that's much more manageable to deal with. Yep, absolutely. But I would say Memory Leak's close with Deadweight for me. And early on, I might
1: take Memory Leak just because I love the cycling deck so much.
0: Yeah, I I think that's very defensible. Right now, I don't think you need to pick it that high because it's like still wheeling for some reason in some drafts. But I agree with you. So those are our top three, Blood Curdle, Deadweight, Memory Leak. But then, even I think sometimes you're taking memory leak over dead weight, and then down the road, here's where things get messy. So let's say you're in a sacrifice slash humans deck, or you've already got a payoff for that, right? You've got your bastion of remembrance, or you've got your weaponized the monsters. Well, now your deck is super interested in whisper squad, which has gone up in my pick order so high. Like I was super low on this initially in the set review. I love this card now, and one of the ways that sort of turned me around on it was framing it like a raise the alarm with upside like if you've got three or four in your deck you're gonna draw this in your opener a lot of the time and when you do when you go turn one whisper squad into turn two tutor up another whisper squad you've essentially cast raise the alarm but now it's got upside right because you still have one or two more that you can go find and then it's also got synergy with you know your humans matter so your sanctuary lockdown is now making them all two twos or your bastion of remembrance is turning them into these things that when they die they're gonna drain your opponent and that's putting a clock on them they synergize now with your bushmeat poacher so are you going down the sacrifice route and you need more sacrifice outlets so bushmeat poacher goes up there mutual destruction now goes up so you've now d- gone down this path where you have all this stuff that works well in tandem with humans and sacrifice and is now perhaps picks above cards like memory leak and dead weight
1: i think almost definitely if i start a draft with bastion of remembrance i think pack one pick two i'm taking whisper squad over Deadweight. Yes, I agree. Right. So it, sh- it shifts really drastically depending on what route you're going down. And then if you think about Mutate decks, you know, those are really interested in Cavern Whisperer, Boot Nipper, and I think the Durable Coil Bug to a lesser extent than Boot Nipper, But Whisperer also gives you some menace synergy. So there's some crossover there. Like maybe you're playing that in a black red menace deck.
0: And durable coil bug slots in nicely to the sacrifice deck as well. I mean, we've seen people just winning games with durable coil bug, chump blocking, returning and draining with Bastion of Remembrance. So while the card is, you know, still maybe just like a C minus on power level or in terms of how you have to pick it, its synergy level is kind of through the roof in a lot of black decks.
1: It's almost more flexible than boot nipper in that way. I think yeah. I'm into taking the first coil bug over the first bootnipper at this point unless I know I'm already mutating.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And then taking a look a little deeper down into the commons night squad commando. That's the two and a black two three that brings a one one token along with it. If you attack that turn. That can be a super high pick if you have a good curve and you have Bastion or Sanctuary Lockdown. Those are the black and white human enchantments, respectively. Although Bastion's
0: not human enchantment. Bastion sees no no creature type. Yeah, Bastion's just pretty awesome on its own. And then, you know, even moving down in pick orders, you can look at things like Lurking Deadeye or Blitzleech being good if you're in that blue-black flash deck. Lurking Deadeye has synergy with the Whisper Squads because you have all of these like 1-1 chump blockers that are essentially free. And then Lurking Deadeye can finish off the creatures that they blocked, or you can chump attack with them. Those are the things you need to be thinking about. You need to be thinking about, and I say, I feel like this format feels like a format where all of my cube training is coming to bear the most because that's how you think about drafting in cube. Like as soon as you've got your first card and when you go to pack one pick two, you're like, all right, how does my next pick interact with this card? And that's what you need to be thinking about in this format. You need to be thinking like, oh, Lurking Deadeye goes pretty well with Whisper Squads or the more instant speed stuff i have the better lurking dead eye gets because it gives me options to go hey i can essence scatter something i can capture sphere something i can finish something off with a lurking dead eye that's the sort of thing you need to be thinking about as you draft this format
1: or even something you know night squad commando is really far down black's common power rankings Mm -hmm. if you're in a sacrifice deck and you need cards to sacrifice you're taking that over Deadweight. you might even take it over blood curdle depending on what state your deck's in
0: if you got sanctuary lockdown i could definitely see it like the things that bring along two bodies it's just like here's two bodies that are both getting pumped by the lockdown that i can also use to tap down one of your things that's big game
1: right but you also and then you also have to make sure you have the curve to support the night squad commando there's just a lot of
0: things going on that influence your pick orders can we can we just go draft the format right now Uh, please (laughs) well we can do the next best thing which is look at a couple round tables here so to put the idea of flexible pick orders Column A, column B for the different synergy packages that exist and sort of have a discussion about the the way that we are navigating drafts. So Ben, I'm going to have you take a seat here and uh, look at one of these drafts that I got for you. Let's do it. Okay. So pack one, pick one, not really much that we need to discuss. We open one of the best rares in the format. Perhaps the best rare. I don't know. I haven't gotten a chance to play with Vivian yet. I assume it's very powerful. But here I've got what we have right now is number two, which is Shark Typhoon. The Five and a blue enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying where X is that spell's CMC. But it also has cycling for X1 blue. When you cycle it, you make a flying shark creature token with power and toughness X.
1: If your opponent ever casts Shark Typhoon for the five and a blue enchantment, the game is just over
0: you're done because well be, well that's not true you have a turn <laughs> you have that turn while they tapped out for shark typhoon but assuming your opponent to
1: disenchanted
0: with to disenchanted or to kill them but if they untap with it you're done
1: yeah and and it's so busted on the cycling mode that you know if they cast it as the enchantment that lots of flying sharks are coming your way <laughs>
0: right yeah because usually it's like you cycle it you make a 4-4 you ambush something in combat and you draw a card it's insane so snapped that up here and then now is where things start to get interesting in pack one pick two so pack one pick two following cards as options three of the best commons available to you ram through the green punch spell fire prophecy the one in a red deal three and then you can bottom a card from your hand to draw a card essence scatter to stay on color One and a blue counter target creature spell. And then at uncommon, we've got another powerful blue card in Pouncing Shore Shark. Four and a blue, four, three, flash. Mutate for three and a blue. And when the creature mutates, you can return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand.
1: Yeah. Interesting choice here. So we've got two great blue follow-ups to Shark Typhoon. I think the most powerful card in the pack is Fire Prophecy, but I think Shark Typhoon is good enough that I really want to take a blue card here to go along with it. I really want to be blue, if at all possible, for the Shark Typhoon. And it's splashable, so we don't need to hang on for deer life, but I think Scatter and Shore Shark are close enough to Fire Prophecy that we should take one of them here. Mm -hmm. For me, I think I have Shore Shark ahead of Essence Scatter in my pick order, so I think I would land on the Shore Shark here.
0: I as well have Shore Shark ahead of Essence Scatter in my pick order. My thought here was that Essence Scatter played better with Shark Typhoon like on the battlefield and also in terms of like, well, the more instant speed or the more non-creature spells I pick up, the better the Typhoon gets. And if the more those cards are at instant speed, the more like synergistic my deck is. But I could definitely see that being an incorrect pick. But I did grab Essence Scatter here.
1: Yeah, it's very close. Shore Shark's instant speed also, right? It's just not going to trigger the Shark Typhoon. Like mm-hmm. My my frame of thinking is that Shark Typhoon's powerful enough in its own right that if I get the spells to go along with it, great. But if not, it's still going to be outstanding in my deck as the cycling part of the
0: card. Right. Yeah, I guess my feeling is like, yes, Shark, Shore Shark is instant speed. But when I have Shore Shark, that is one of my column A cards in the mutate deck, right? That's a card where I'm like, this is a payoff for being in the mutate deck, but I need to then get more payoffs and more enablers for it.
1: I agree. Yep, absolutely.
0: All right. So then moving on to pack one, pick three, and I think you'll sort of start to see this decision tree split even more as Ben and I take different cards here, but I think they're both viable options. Pack one, pick three, best commons being Farfinder, the colorless three mana one one with Fiji, searches up a land, puts it into your hand, and Migratory Greathorn, that's the green mutator that finds a land and puts it onto the battlefield tapped when it mutates. And then at uncommon, got weaponize the monsters, a card you and I are very high on now. Single red enchantment, pay two, sack a creature, weaponize deals two damage to any target. This is just good, right? It's just good. You have to build around it a little bit, but it's so easy to build around that you should pick it highly. You have to have creatures. Yes. Like, you just can't put it in your, like, six creature cycling deck. Right. But other than that, like, I've just been at 12 and had my opponent play that and go, oh, I can't win. Like, there's just nothing I can do about that. So very, very powerful card neutralize also to go along with the blue train one blue blue instant counter target spell with cycling two and finally auspicious starx probably the best card in the pack four and a green six six mutate five and a green when it mutates you exile cards from the top of your library until you exile X permanent cards where X is the number of times the creature has mutated you put that you put those permanent cards onto the battlefield
1: yeah this is a stacked pack here pack one pick three I think I agree with you that starx is the best card in the pack Neutralize goes along very well with our Shark Typhoon, so there's some consideration there for me. But I think ultimately the power level gap between Starx and Neutralize puts me on the Starks.
0: Yeah, so I landed on Neutralize, perhaps trying to like meme a little bit or just like experiment a little bit, trying to see if I could draft this, you know, Flash Deck or Instant Speed Draw Go Deck, whatever. So I did take the Counter Spell here to follow up with my Essence Scatter and Shark Typhoon. But this is an interesting draft. If you look further down the line for you, you get to go ram through into essence symbiote and you've got a great start to a mutate deck there's a glimmer bell pack one pick six and for me i take a blood curdle next and then pack one pick five i get a slither wisp which is pretty lucky but also this rare is very niche this is the blue black black three two flash whenever you cast another spell that has flash you draw a card and each opponent loses two life and now i feel like i'm off to the races in terms of trying to draft blue black drago flash but you've also got a great direction with blue-green mutate. Right. And that started to diverge as early as pack one pick two, right? The shore shark as an A
1: mutator mm-hmm. made me, incentivize me to pick another A mutator star because then I've got two great payoffs and then every enabler I get, you know, every essence symbiote I get, gets that much better for my deck. Whereas you, without having any of the mutate creatures, the star is a little less appealing for you, right? Because you know, if you take the star you have to start going down that road of picking up the good enablers. And that's not necessarily what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to hop on over to one of my draft logs. So would you like to take a seat? I sure would, baby. Always in this format, right? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) when do we ever not want to draft? But this format is especially gas. Yeah. So pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Whisper Squad. If you had told me that at the start of the format, I would have told you you're crazy, but I'm all about the squad. Are you really? You're all about first picking
0: Whisper Squad. I don't know about that. not first picking, but I think I, I have eyes for the squad. I think that's really a good point. To make that, you should have eyes for you. You should be aware of when you're opening them because, like, if pack one, pick five, you see one, and that's when you wanna take it. You want to know that oh if it doesn't wheel I should move off of it but then if it does you're like full steam ahead yeah so that's
1: chilling out in the pack not a lot of great commons here spell Eater Wolverine I think this guy is a little underrated two and a red for the three two and gets double strike as long as there are three or more instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard this does a great prickly marmoset impression in the cycling deck if you don't get prickly marmosets and with all of the spells that have cycling one it's very easy to turbo charge this into a two and a red double striker
0: yeah I would throw a migratory great horn out there in the the common conversation as well as well oh i was i was
1: getting there i was gonna give the great horn a nod next all right so yeah great horns chilling in the pack and then capture sphere as well although capture sphere suffers a bit from the pacifism problem yes. it's very both of those cards are very good against some decks it suffers also from the glimmer bell problem yes it also suffers from the glimmer bell problem both of those cards are very good against some decks but really bad against a lot a
0: significant number of other decks yeah Just leaving stuff on the battlefield in this format isn't the best. I mean, that's often the case, I feel like. This format feels even slightly more so.
1: Wingspan mentors chillin' in the uncommons. 2 in a blue for the 1-3 when ETBs put a flying counter on target non-human creature you control. And you can pay 2 in a blue tap to put a plus-one, plus-one counter on each creature you control with flying. This has gone up for me since our last episode. I think there is a place for these mentors, but you want a lot of creatures that intrinsically have that keyword ability before you start to care about them, I think. Mm -hmm. And then we've also got Ominous Seas, one of the best uncommons in the set. One on a blue enchantment whenever you draw a card, put a four shadow counter on it, and you can remove eight Foreshadow counters to make yourself an 8-8 Kraken. And the card, if it wasn't good enough, also has Cycling 2. And then your rare is Winota, Joiner of Forces, two red-white for the 4-4, Whenever a non-human creature you control attacks, you get to look at the top six cards of your library, put a human creature card from among them on the battlefield tapped and attacking, and that creature gains indestructible until end of turn. You put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order.
0: I love this pick, Ben. I love the choice between what I think is like, everyone would just go, ooh, flashy mythic rare in Winota versus one of the best payoffs at Uncommon in the format in Ominous Seas. And I really like taking Ominous Seas here because it gives you A clear payoff, but a card that could go in a number of archetypes, like it can go in cycling and it can go in spells matter slash card draw, whereas Winota is like, I guess, intrinsically powerful, but that's not what red white is trying to do. And I don't know what deck or like how to maximize that card in a way that doesn't make my deck basically worse if i don't draw winota like what if winota was could be a companion then we're in a different spot because you know you're always going to draw it but you don't know that right i got a lot of flack on stream for this but i i do think what you said winota it
1: incentivizes you to do a weird thing that's not really (laughs) what you want to do in the format for this one card whereas ominous sees is just busted and goes in like six different decks
0: (laughs) yeah it's so it's like powerful and flexible what more could you ask for from a pack one pick one
1: yep so we snatched ominous seas there moving on to pack one pick two got a lot of good cards in this pack there's a rumbling rock slide three and a red deals damage equal to a creature equal to the number of lands you control
0: i think I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna I have a little intervention here, Ben. Okay. I think you're a little too high on Rumbling Rockslide. Whoa, no. I'm so sorry. You were you were like freaking out about the card on stream yesterday, like going late or like wheeling. It's it's fine. It's good. It does like a good impression of like get the thing dead no matter what, but it's four mana and it's sorcery speed. It's good. It does a good impression of blood curdle and it wheels.
1: I don't know, man. I, I intervention not well received. <laughs>
0: Sorry, <laughs> that's
1: okay. <laughs> and there's also a ram through in the pack. Uh, one on a green target creature you control reaches out and punches, equal to its power to target creature an opponent controls. Also, excess damage if your creature has trample goes to your face. I have gotten domed and I was so confused. I lost the game and I didn't know what happened. <laughs> I had to sit and think for a while. Like, I thought Magic Online had bugged out. I really didn't know what was happening. That's funny. All right. There's also a Prickly Marmoset, two and a red for a two, three first strike. When you cycle a card, it gets plus two, plus oh. And then I think moving on to the uncommons, not great. There's the Proud Wild Bonder, the Trample, four, three, and Jubilant Sky Bonder, even worse, the two, two Windrake. And then, ooh, baby, we've got a Flourishing Fox single white for the one one. When you cycle a card, you put a plus one, plus one counter on
0: Flourishing Fox, and it itself has cycling one. Yeah, Flourishing Fox is a great follow-up to Seas. I wanna I'm, I'm gonna ask you this, Ben. If Flourishing Fox isn't in the pack, do you dare take Frostvale Ambush as a one mana cycler to follow up to Seas? I would not. I would take Prickly Marmoset because it's a payoff. Because it's a
1: payoff, and I think it's a more powerful card than Frost Veil Ambush, and I think blue red cycling
0: with an seas is great maybe i've swung too hard in the one cmc cycler direction <laughs> there's no such thing baby because i think i would take ambush here if fox weren't in the pack i think that's reasonable all right i'll, I'll accept reasonable yeah I, I i would not fault anyone for doing that
1: i just think marmoset's really good and again it's it's red and it's gonna go well in any red
0: deck and the thing about not having ram through in the discussion because i think ram through is like beyond fox the most powerful card in this pack like if it were pack one pick one i would probably take it if fox weren't here but already i'm thinking well ram through and ominously don't go in the same deck and so if i'm thinking about that like you don't just jam ominously in your blue green mutate deck and in your you're not gonna have a blue green spells deck so like what are you doing and so I want to stay with my payoff rather than take just like the intrinsically powerful spell.
1: I, yeah, I just realized how much I hate green when you said you would take Ram through pack one, pick one. <laughs> if Fox weren't in the pack, I, I would slam Marmoset over Ram through pack one, pick one.
0: That's wild to me. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not quite on the hating green train that hard.
1: I, I'm I'm really down on green at the moment. All right, moving on to our next pick. So we've already got ominous season Fox, so it's going to take a lot to move us off. Moving on to pack one, pick three. There's a pacifism in the pack. One in a white, enchanted creature can't attack or block. There's an of one mind, two in a blue, draw two cards. Costs single blue if you control a human and a non-human. There's a fire prophecy, one in a red, instant deal three to a creature, and then you can put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library to draw a card. And in the uncommons, valiant, rescuer, baby, one white for the three one when you cycle another card for the first time each turn. Make a one, one white human soldier token, and it has cycling two.
0: Yeah, this card is absolutely busted. It's one of the best payoffs. I think the second best payoff for the red white cycling deck beyond Zenith Flare, have it at like B plus level. And now that you've got Ominous Seas, Fox, Valiant Rescuer, full steam ahead. There, There is nothing that could push me off of playing blue white cycling. I agree. Well, or I guess white based cycling. Yeah, yeah. white based cycling. I agree. You're, you're cycling at this point and you can't
1: get cut. I don't think. Right. It, you could theoretically. I mean, if everybody's trying to draft cycling, but in the current like format, even with people, I think people know how good cycling is. I. It would take a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to push me off drafting a cycling deck.
0: The thing that's so gross about the cycling deck is that you get like, what? Like nine top commons across all the colors because you don't care if it's memory leak or gopher blood or Frost veil ambush You just don't care what it is because all you care about is the bottom line of text of one colorless cycling
1: And I think the really beautiful thing you know we're saying you can essentially force it from this point Which is not something we would normally advocate, but I would do that here pretty much I think with almost no exception is that you don't need a lot of payoffs because you find them because everything in your deck has cycling
0: so you're gonna see your one valiant rescuer almost every game yeah you just have to assume that either one of those things is going to be in your opener or you're going to dig t- towards it pretty quickly yep all right we're going to hop back over to one of mine here uh, a lot of interesting decisions here pack one pick one again we'll, we'll take note of whisper squad in the pack and a dead weight um, beating out both of those at like, common is fire prophecy the red removal spell moving on to the uncommons two cards i want to Point out here Lord Drakkis, one blue red for the two three with mutate is it is it. And whenever the creature mutates, you return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Bastion of Remembrance, a card you and I are very high on right now. Two and a black for an enchantment. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 white human soldier creature token, and whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses a life and you gain one life. And then Eerie Ultimatum, this is white-white, triple-black, green-green for a sorcery. Return any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield. That
1: is a deck. I have lost twice savagely to Eerie Ultimatum from my opponents. It's very powerful, but I don't think you want to pack one pick on it. I think you want to be in base green preferably base green black since it's triple black but green fixes well enough that you wouldn't even have to be base black i think
0: and is it like running a bunch of cycling creatures
1: yeah you you want to be you have the reanimate package and you also just get to trade off early like you know you have this card it really is very powerful if you get the deck i've been impressed from opponents
0: okay cool that's good to know
1: um so for me it's between Honestly, I think I would take Fire Prophecy over Lore I don't know. That's really close. But I think Bastion of Remembrance stands out enough over both of those that I don't need to make that decision right now. So I would slam Bastion.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then as a follow up to that, we have sort of the same decision pack one pick two of Fire Prophecy versus another Bastion of Remembrance, the rare being missing in the pack.
1: But that card
0: is absurd in multiples. So you're taking the second Bastion of Remembrance here. And then moving on to pack one pick three, this is where it starts to get interesting. So another really powerful pack, top of the heap of the commons is going to be Blood Curdle, three and a black destroy a creature, put a menace counter on a creature you control. And then three uncommons still in the pack lord Rackus, grim dancer one black black for a three three when it etbs you get to put two of the three following counters menace death touch or lifelink onto it and then chittering harvester five and a black for the four six with mutate four and a black when it mutates each opponent sacks a creature
1: yeah this is a really tough pick all three of those black cards are absolutely premium So if we think about what each of them incentivizes you to do, Chittering Harvester is a mutate payoff, right? So then you're going to need to get cheap enablers to turn it on. Black's got two pretty good ones in Boot Nipper and Durable Coil Bug. Grim Dancer is just raw power at creature. And then Blood Curdle is premium removal. I don't know what I would do here. I'm torn. I think you can make an argument for all three of the cards. I think Chittering Harvester is the most powerful in a vacuum. Mm Mm-hmm. Grim Dancer is the most powerful while asking the least of you. Mm -hmm. And then Blood Curdle is just primo removal. I I don't know what's right. I think I would ultimately end up between Grim Dancer and Blood Curdle. And I think I would just
0: land on Blood Curdle because I knew I couldn't go wrong. But it's it's tough. Yeah, I tanked for a long time on this pick. And it's probably my love of Mutate and Chittering Harvester that, that led me to take it. But spoiler alert, looking ahead at the draft, I ended up cutting it because I ended up in a streamlined red black sacrifice deck, which I think is the argument for taking Blood Curdle so if we, if we think about just intrinsically pack one, pick one, I think we're both on Harvester here, yeah? Yes. So the reason that that goes out the window with two Bastions, even just as early as pack one, pick three, is you now have agency over your draft in some sense of like, you've got two Bastions, what lane do you want to go down? And the two best lanes, I think, are Black White Humans or Black Red Sacrifice. And in both of those decks, Chittering Harvester is going to be out of place. You know, the deck I ended up with, which was Black Red, ended up with four non-humans to mutate onto, which is just not enough to make chittering harvester good. When chittering harvester is good, the reason it's so good early is that it leads you down a mutate path. And when you get multiple mutates out of this, that's when it gets busted. You sack, you make them sack something, then next turn you mutate onto it, you make them sack something, you get the other benefit of the mutate creature. That's when it gets out of control. And so I think right, that's that all- wants to be part of a mutate stack. Right. Whereas Blood Curdle asks nothing of you and is going to keep you on the well, I'm gonna try and be black, white or black, red with the Bastion's plan.
1: Right. That's really interesting. So I think what I would recommend is while you're drafting, when you're considering if you've got a hard pick like this, or, you know, you're making a pick, I would ask yourself the question, what does taking this card allow me to do? Or what does it require of my deck? So if you're asking yourself that here, I think it's easier, easier to rule out Chittering Harvester as the pick, right? Because... With bastion and harvester you're being pulled in two different directions whereas you could just i think with double bastion you're almost on the same plan of i'm doing this thing come what may yeah not, not entirely but you really want to go hard down the bastion path
0: yeah right it feels similar to starting off with ominous fox and valiant rescuer
1: yep all right we're gonna hop back over to another one of my drafts so if you take a seat here pack one pick one you see the following cards as options in the commons, there's really nothing that stands out except for curdle. And then moving on to the uncommons, we've got some good ones here. Lord Rackus, the one blue-red, two-three, that mutates for is it, is it hybrid? And whenever it mutates, you rebuy an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. There's Boon of the Wishgiver, four blue-blue for a sorcery, draw four, cycling one. There's Archipelago, affectionately known as Archie. Five blue-blue, seven-seven, mutates for five and a blue. And whenever it mutates, you get a tap up to X target creatures, where X is the number of times that creature's mutated. Those creatures don't untap during their controller's untap step. And your rare Mythos of Nathroi, Tuna a black instant, destroy target non-land permanent if it was a creature. And if you spent green-white
0: to cast it, you can destroy a non-land permanent. So this is interesting. So when we did our limited testing meeting earlier this week... I felt like we were all sort of in different spots in terms of Mythos of Nethroi versus Blood Bloodcurtle. So where are you at with those two cards?
1: I have no idea what's right. Pack one, pick one is where I'm at.
0: Okay. <laughs> the
1: Mythos is a mana cheaper. Blood Bloodcurtle gives you a menace counter. Mythos has the upside if you can do it for green white, but I think
0: that's rarely coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, I-, I think they're close. I think I am on Mythos as mana cheaper and the upside of being able to like blow up a capture sphere or whatever, but I think I have Archipelago ahead of both of them. Oh, interesting. Like that's a- that's a, payoff a really good payoff in a mutate deck and you know it can go in i can go blue green blue red blue black probably not blue white but it leaves me open to a number of different lanes i think i would be on archie here
1: i think that's respectable for sure uh, that might even be like factually correct i don't know that's interesting i don't know why i don't want the. i want i guess i don't want blood curdle over
0: archipelagor you don't right like Ar- archie is i mean probably beyond auspicious Starx, it's the best uncommon mutate
1: yeah that's interesting I don't know. Anyway, I landed on Mythos there over Archipelagor. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. The commons, there's not a lot of standouts. There's a Vulpakete, three and a white, two, three, has mutate for two and a white and flying. And whenever it mutates, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. There's of one mind, draw two cards, sorcery speed, Dranith healer, one and a white, two, two, whenever you cycle another spell, you gain a life and it has cycling one. And then the uncommons, ding, 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 ding. We got past Zenith Flare, the menace of the format. Two red, white, instant. Deals X damage to any target and you gain X life where X is the number of cards with a cycling ability in your graveyard.
0: Best uncommon in the set. Best payoff for red, white cycling.
1: Windmill slam. Yep, you're taking it here. And I think, you know, probably not going in the same deck as Mythos of Nathroy. And if you had started with Archipelagor, not going in the same deck with Archipelagor, but you can draft two decks simultaneously for a while and then make a hard cut into one of those decks. And I think that's something that you could do here.
0: Especially when they're both very strong payoffs. When they both are high column A cards, you can sort of toe the line for a few picks before you realize which of those synergy packages is more open for you.
1: Yeah. Moving on to pack one pick three. Again, fairly weak pack best common in the pack is pacifism one in a white enchanted creature can't attack or block no one cmc cyclers in the pack and moving on to the uncommons best uncommon in the pack is blitz of the thunder raptor one red instant deals x damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard and that thing that was dealt damage gets exiled
0: yeah so if there's a one CMC Cycler here, I think I am taking that as a follow up to Zenith Flare. I think if there's something like Glimmerbell or Dreamtail Heron in the pack, I would take that as a follow up to Um, But I think Blitz of the Thunder Raptor feels like the card that lines up the most with one of your t- two previous picks, which is Zenith Flare.
1: Yep. Moving on to pack one, pick four. See the following cards as options here. You've got a doozy of a pick here with the Archipelago in your pile. So we've got Imposing Vantasaur as a one CMC cycler. That's the five and a white, three, six with Vigilance. There's a Drana Stinger, one and a red for a two, two. When you cycle another card, it deals one damage to each opponent and has cycling one. And then in the Uncommons, there's a Polywog symbiote, one and a blue, one, three. Each creature spell you cast costs one less to cast. If it has Mutate, whenever you cast a creature spell, if it has Mutate, draw a card, then discard a card. This feels like a litmus test for the format for you. All right, so Ethan Sachs, you've got Archipelagor zenith flare blitz of the thunder raptor are you taking symbiote or drana
0: stinger here i think people are gonna not like my answer which is i'm gonna take symbiote because symbiote is is column a and column b (laughs) and i i don't know i feel like i i would rather start off with Two A's, though I guess Dranith Singer also is kind of column A, column B. It
1: is. I think it is.
0: I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can make, I don't think that, that you make a mistake here, I, except maybe you make a mistake because red white cycling is so busted and Zenith Flare is so busted that you are supposed to take Dranith Singer. I don't know. I want to take Symbiote here. That's the deck I would want to draft, so I would take it. But Dranith Singer with Zenith Flare is also amazing.
1: This feels like there's some sort of saying here like you can take the Mutate, you can take the man out of Mutate, but you can't take the Mutate out of the man. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah. Even even after seeing the light with red white cycling yesterday, I still just want to symbiote an archipelago on turn five. Yeah, I
1: think that's totally respectable. But again, worth noting that you know you're 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 pushing in one of those directions, and this is a turning point, right? If you have that archipelago in your pile and you take symbiote here, you're wanting to buy us away from zenith flare that point forward, unless it's obvious that you're getting cut out of mutate, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on to pack one pick five. Again, we're maybe going in a different direction here. So there's a Dranath Healer, one CMC Cycler at, at common, but then at uncommon, there's still a Bastion of Remembrance in this pack. So tune a black enchantment when ETBs, you get that one one token, and whenever a creature you control dies, you drain your opponent.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting to me because I think I think Bastion of Remembrance is very powerful, but it is now putting me into a third lane. So like if I'm you, I think I take Dranath Healer. If I'm me, I think I cry and take Links, And I just feel like, I, I don't know, you've already got two powerful payoffs. Do you need to go in a third direction? Maybe you do. Well, so I don't have the Archipelago in my
1: pile yet. Right. So I, I'm feeling out then. I took Bastion of Remembrance here, and I think I'm trying to toe the line between cycling and sacrifice. Because Drana Stinger also goes very well with the Bastion. I have the Mythos you know what I mean?
0: Oh, you already have Mythos, yeah. So Bastion's a much easier pick.
1: A much easier pick for me. I don't think it's the pick for you. Because then you, you've got your your feet in too many kitchens. You've got too many chefs in too many different kitchens.
0: Which I think is also an interesting thing to think about. That like Because I take Archipelago first, I think that sort of rules out Bastion of Remembrance for me.
1: Yeah, well, especially after dipping your toe down the Zenith Flare route, right? Right. You've got two insanely powerful lanes to go down. You don't need a third at that
0: point. That's what I think, yeah. Though, it could be wrong because Bastion fifth could be a signal that that's the lane I should be in. So I can, I could still see that being the correct pick. Like I'm not missing out, like not taking frost links is not missing out on much. Yeah, that's fair for sure. This format is so awesome. This format
1: is so awesome. So hopefully that gives you some tools for framing how you want to think about the format. I would highly encourage you to think about colors in terms of what they do well and what they enable you to do. Think about trying to assemble A plus B stuff in the draft and think about what your previous draft picks incentivize you to do, much more so than thinking about archetypes. Like, I, I think red-white is cycling. I think that's a true archetype for the format. Mm-hmm. But past
0: that, it really is the Wild West out there. Yeah, and you really need to think about, as soon as pack and Pick 2, about, as, as Ben is saying, like, where do things line up in terms of A category, B category as, as payoffs and enablers, but also how... Is the card you're about to take going to play with the cards you already have?
1: Yep, for sure. All right, that's a great place to wrap us up there. Gives you a lot of things to chew on. And I think I I cannot wait to dive into more episodes for this format.
0: Yeah. And I think if you've got things that you're really struggling with or things that you think would be cool ideas for future episodes for this format in particular, reach out to us. Absolutely. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We've been streaming pretty often. There's been a good tag team of you want the day shift? You come hang out with me. You want the night shift? You come hang out with Ben or just stay the whole day. You know, I think we've uh, we've been crushing it there. We've also got uh, our YouTube channel as well with more content there, youtube.com slash Lords of Limited. Check us out on Twitter under our same usernames and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited.
1: If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
0: Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited.
1: Thanks everybody. See you later. marmoset and o2 and o3 essentially kills no right? one even An oh one even <laughs> no one even how about that no
0: two and oh three and oh one doesn't matter <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's zero power that's where the key is
0: yeah
1: so i think all of those things do you want me to take that again yeah <laughs> i think leave that so. in the
0: episode okay <laughs>